0: Hello and welcome to the Vox Podcast. I'm Alan. And hi, I'm Saulo. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to our very special guest, one of the founding members of Portishead, Mr. Adrian Utley. Just before we do that, though, we wanted to tell you about the latest new gear. On the show, we make it our mission to keep you bang up to date with any new releases from Vox. And this month, well, it's all about headphones.
1: Yes, in 2021, we've got two brand new sets of headphones from Vox. They are quite different though. The first one, the VGH series has three models in it. So it has an AC30 model, which is your classic sort of Vox electric guitar amp sound. It has a higher gain sort of British stack sort of sound, which is the VGH rock. And then there's the VGH bass, which is obviously dedicated for bass. They all have different effects uh, depending on the model that you select and what's really great about them is that they have completely analog circuitry in there so uh your actual tone sounds great but also feels great to play which is something that sometimes gets lost in the world of digital right right exactly why don't you tell us about the other model yes
0: so the other new release is the vhq1 smart noise cancelling headphones so as as a A regular pair of everyday headphones, these provide really great sound quality, excellent noise cancelling, as well as some other features, um, hands-free calling, for example. But this isn't just Vox kind of jumping on the the active noise cancelling bandwagon, if, if you will. The VHQ1s have got another trick, and that unique feature is practicing acoustic or electric guitar, and it's called smart monitoring. And the way this works is that it utilizes the, the inbuilt active noise cancelling system, and it allows you to monitor external sound sources while you're listening to music. So it's sort of like the uh, perfect solution for players who want to practice alongside backing tracks and are either playing, say, an acoustic instrument or, or an electric guitar with a small amp. Um, it works great. And it means you can you know just jam along to backing tracks. Uh, you can even use them singing if uh, you're playing piano even anything acoustic uh, they're really neat and um, yeah both of these new headphones are available right now so check them out
1: me a to love you.
0: and now it's time to meet our special guest guitarist composer and producer adrian Utley was originally a session guitarist and went on to play and record with Jeff Beck. This would be a pinnacle of success for most guitar players, but it was his drive and determination to seek out completely new musical sounds and ideas that took him in a different direction, teaming up with Portishead and releasing a trio of hugely successful albums. Over the years, he's also worked with many other great artists, including Patti Smith, Tom Jones, Jarvis Cocker, Mercury Rev, Goldfrap, Damon Albarn, Massive Attack, the list goes on. Join us as we talk about the sonic possibilities of the guitar, musical influences, gear, and much more.
1: It's time to move on.
0: Hi, Adrian. Thanks ever so much for taking some time out today to have a chat with us. We really appreciate it.
2: Oh, mm. well, no, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I always like talking, talking about gear, talking about music, talking about...
0: <laughs> Whatever, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. So I see you in your, your very nice-looking studio there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Where, whereabouts are you based? Um, I'm based in Bristol yeah, um, and have been for the
2: last 30-odd years or so, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, my studio is back in my house now. It was out in a, a much, much huge space, you know. So I've now, I was just saying to Salo, I've got completely squished into... And we've got lots of children. We've got five kids, and they've <laughs> taken my drum room and my guitar room, amp room <laughs> <laughs> as bedroom. So right. I'm sort of into here. But actually, just during this like last year of, of lockdown, it's been really good to be able to work at home. It's not ideal, you know, like for all of the people I've been working with um, in music with their kids at home, it's quite tough yeah. for all of us, isn't it? You know, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, and um, but in many respects, it's worked out quite well because um, I can just work here and I don't have to go anywhere. I've got all my stuff. Um, I'm actually preferring this way of working. Then I've got about four sessions coming up with various different people, some of them I'm really looking forward to. And we're going to a studio, you know, if we can in May, yeah. Um, I was thinking, oh, well, that means I've got to take all the what should I take with me, you know? Whereas if I'm here, I've got everything yeah, around. exactly, me. exactly. Yeah, and I can try it, and two seconds later, I go, no, nah, that's not working, I'll try this. Whereas if you, I mean, there is a thing that if you take a certain amount of equipment with you somewhere, you'll make it work, mm. whatever it is, you know? So, and I'm a big believer in that, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: well, it looks like you've got some really interesting analogue, lots of compressors I see there, and... Um, yeah.
2: I've collected my. It's not, I'm not like a collector. I'm a user of their tools, really. But yeah. you know, you become a collector by default because some of this stuff's really hard to yeah. find, and certainly now it's very difficult to find. Yeah, there's things there that I didn't pay that much for. You know, um, There's stuff I like. Just here, there. Where is it? There is a U47 microphone, <laughs> um, valve one. You know, which I paid two grand for. And at the time, I was like, now that's a lot of money, you know. Yeah. But I've virtually used it every day for the last, however long I've had it, 18 Page years. and uh, Exactly. They're like 15 grand mm-hmm. now if, yeah. you
0: want, if you can find one, you yeah, know. Exactly.
2: etc. So that's not me being smug. I'm just really pleased that I yeah. did, you know. And there's certain yeah. things that all of us missed out on. I've got some modular Moog stuff, old Korg synths yeah. and um, Roland synths that I really love. I've, I've got one of those old thirty Korg thirty two hundred
0: oh, yeah. modular. Oh, okay, Amazing so, how about any um, old old any old Vox amps? Yeah, I have. Um, I've
2: got two um, two old Vox. I've got a sixty two AC thirty that I use on the road. Um, that's in my storage with all my, my port set equipment, um, and I've got just down here. Um, I've got a 1963 AC10, nice. which I wow. use
0: nearly for all my sessions, you know. Um, and the 62 stands up to life on the road, does it? It really does. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't <laughs> believe it, would you, actually? But um,
2: our guys are really good and they take care of stuff, but still, it has to get trucked yeah. and um, yeah. bounced from Poland or Czechoslovakia. That's right.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, it, 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 so they've never said it's gone wrong. Um, and it hasn't so um yeah it's lovely it's a it's a copper and toyota know, 62 no yeah. no treble, yeah. top boost or anything just a normal um which i really like i love that yeah. you know you've loaned me a a, a custom head yeah which is our top boost but i don't use that channel mm-hmm. i did the yeah. other day but i still just like tone yeah. great yeah and tone cut you know fantastic what Hey, yeah. how are you finding that amp, The new one. I really like it. I think it's great. I haven't I've played it for a speaker and it sounds really good. Um, sounds like a Vox, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's what you want, yeah. you know. Um yeah. you know, because for me I started out with Vox um when I was a kid and uh but my early ones I bought off I lived in Northampton in the Midlands and I bought off um oh you know, for nothing. Yeah. And it was covered in some kind of terrible vinyl that somebody had put up <laughs> and I like, pulled it all off. It had wheels on it and I was just telling my, my partner the other day that we used to sit on it and roll down hills. But <laughs> well, we didn't have a car, I had to roll it around, you know, to go to gigs and yeah, park yeah. where I'd play. And I remember going to a party and there was a massive hill we, we pushed it up and then there was a down on the other side. So I sat on it and off we went. You know,
0: <laughs> I was supposed
2: to totally trash it, you know. But um, yeah, that's
0: the same. Awesome we've, awesome. we've got a 62, I think it's a 62, AC30 63, isn't no? it? 63, yeah. yeah and that, but when we acquired that um, amp, that, that also comes on this bizarre kind of trolley thing with wheels on oh, it. The well. one. Uh, yeah. No, no, it's not the chrome. It's not the the, the proper chrome. It's not just that. like someone's made this kind of tray with wheels on the <laughs> on the bottom of it. You know, so it was the same sort of thing. But it it's because they yeah. they weigh, you know, like thirty five kilos. And I, I no, they're in, really heavy in those in those days. Um, I don't know. if People were playing uh, tiny shows and wheeling them down high streets and things. Yeah. I suppose that was um, yeah. the way to go.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, they were they were very. I had an AC fifty as well at that time and I had an AC-100 mm. as well. One of them, I think the 50 or the 100, one of them, amp had actually caught fire on a gig. <laughs> it was sounding actually amazing, you know, like they almost always do before they're about to just die. Yeah. And I, I stopped and I was like, well, I looked round, and it was actually on fire. There was fire coming out of it. And the keyboard player was desperately trying to switch it off, you know. <laughs> That was the end of that because I couldn't really, I was a kid, I couldn't really afford to get it fixed. And I think I just left it in a flat that I, um, you know, left. I also had a beige AC30 that somebody had given me that didn't work. um, And that one repaired my main one that I always had. So we stole bits out of it. The tech guy that I used to use then, um, it was all, I had no money. So, you know. And um, he kept it going, and I left that. When I left Northampton, I never bothered to pick it up. Mm. And it had, you know, speakers and all, you know. But, yeah, I've loved them. And I think I sort of changed Defender for a bit through the probably the 80s, late 80s into the 90s. Then I worked with John Parrish, and he was using Vox. And I just suddenly remembered how amazing the sound was and i was really struggling with fender amps i have done for a long time it's because i i hadn't i wanted something else i was looking for a cleaner sort of sound mm. you know Yeah. Um, and i found that fenders just don't distort very well you know they they don't just have that unless it's a tweed or something they don't have that edgy mm. thing that the foxes yeah. have you know that mid-range brilliant you know kind of slightly fizzy sound you know they've got lots of sounds that chimey thing that people like and you know that stuff but i really wanted that push that kind of mid-range thing Mm. yeah so i went back to vox and i I, um that's what i've used you know and orange i've used a um an ad30 which i think is very voxy
1: yeah, Actually, right, yeah. 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 You mentioned that you use the AC-10 quite a bit in the studio. Yeah, uh, Is that purely yeah. because it's a bit more manageable than the 30 or is it the partic- particular thing about it that you like?
2: I really like it. It's got, I think, 8-inch speakers or 10-inch ten 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 inch inch, inch yeah. speakers. Are, yeah. And um I really like that lack of yeah. bass in a studio. You don't need all that
1: low-end. That's right. Um,
2: but my AC-30 is... I, they don't always do this, but my one, if you turn it out to about four, it's really happening. And, and it doesn't have to be that loud. With Porter said, we're not that loud, but, but I just don't use it in the studio because it's uh, the AC-10, I can pick it up, it's easy, mm. and I can get everything out of it that I need, yeah. you know. And that lack of bass helps, you know. Um, it not to be you know take over the entire mix yeah, i think yeah.
1: our current ac10 model is from the custom range that you mentioned as well the same yeah uh, the, it's, it's very popular for that reason as well people don't realize actually that it's got its own thing going it's not yeah, a mini yeah. ac30 it's got its own thing going and and uh, once you play with it it's fantastic little amp yeah yeah
2: i was looking at those and i i thought they looked really good the other thing that is sometimes a problem for me is um. I've been doing more orchestral, kind of playing mm. with orchestral things and mm. things that are really quiet, even small groups or whatever. And um, it's terrifying if your amp's going to start making a noise. Yeah. It's really, you know, rock and roll is not acceptable. in You know, in, in like in a, most of the gigs I've done all my life, you know, on big tours, little clubs, whatever, your amp starts making a horrible noise. Nobody really no. takes much notice of it because it's part of the deal, isn't yeah. it? You know,
0: L- lots of hiding places.
2: Yeah, exactly. And um and it's kind of normal. It's what we grew up with with our amps. They're always off. Yeah. And you'd bang it on the top exactly. and it would stop maybe. <laughs> yeah. That's unacceptable with a, a bunch of um violin and viola players, yeah. you know, they're yeah. not gonna dig that at all. Mm. And um, you know, and also the time restraint is really if you fuck up a recording because your amp's doing buzzing, all oh, you're in trouble, really. Yeah. Um so I was that's why I was looking at more your new range. Yeah. So not that they're going to be infallible. I don't think any valve amp is infallible, is it? But no, exactly.
0: Exactly. A fighting
2: chance to not kind of embarrass myself in front of everyone. You well, know? we
0: should also uh, get you to check out these little MV50s that we make as well, which use these valves called New Tube. Are they the little tiny one? Yeah, tiny little unit, but it's perfect as a kind of backup amp to having, you know, throw it in the guitar case. And if, if something does go wrong, yeah. out it comes. Yeah. And, you know, it's. It's perfectly capable of, of um, you know, going straight through the PA. You get yeah. a great sound from it. The valve really is a valve. You know, new tube is a, is yeah. a, a true vacuum tube. It's just a, a modern modern variant, and it sounds great. Yeah. So we should definitely, yeah.
2: Um, a colleague um, we were just talking about, Is it John? No. Paul. Um, Paul. Yeah. Was telling me about them, and um, I checked them out straight after, and they they sounded really yeah. good, as far as I could tell on YouTube or yeah. whatever, you know. great.
1: Yeah. yeah another thing that you might be interested in is the valve energy pedals which are based they have the same valve in them uh, but they actually have things like a, a, a analog cabinet simulator in there so let's say if if you're in a in a scenario like with the orchestra you could go di with that sort of ac sound there is an ac version called mystic edge and uh, yeah, oh, yeah, saw so that. And uh, yeah, you know, that's yeah. another great option to have. And it's something that could go in your geek bag, you know. So just, uh...
2: yeah, I'm a bit of a stickler for just playing with an amp, though. I really like yeah, I to hear that. <laughs> I know, <laughs> know what you mean. Just, yeah, not necessarily. No, no, and I like to have be able to get feedback, or oh, that's quite difficult in a quiet scenario. Yeah. Um, I just did a thing that's on telly in it's on the 8th, I think, of March on the BBC with a small orchestra. And it, I was using my AC10, and it, um, but I had to, you know, I wanted it to feed back a bit, you know, um, sometimes, you know. So I've always been, I mean, I'm not into in ears either. Uh, yeah. I, I like to hear it all coming blasting out the front mm. at me, you know, as well as I'm just old school. Does really. that
1: work with the orchestra as well, having the full backs? No. <laughs> well, we did, <laughs> we
2: did have, we did have, I mean, I'll try and work in a studio or whatever. Without any kind of headphones, if I can, you know. Um, but we had monitors on, on the last thing we did because we had to, go all, everybody had to keep really distant, mm-hmm. you know, two meters apart, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And there's lots of COVID tests every day. And, you know, um, it's a bit strange on that level not to be sort of all squished in together. It's quite weird. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was sitting next to the drum kit, so I could be a bit more noisy than because there was somebody playing a recorder on the other side of the room. You know? <laughs> and, you know, um, I'm glad I wasn't next to him.
0: Yeah. That's all I can say. So yeah. where did the whole guitar orchestra experiment start? Um, that came from playing, that was John Parrish
2: again, actually. Um, John, I played in his group, which had 12 players in it and we toured for nearly a year actually with that it was really good and um it discovered that we all could play guitar somehow even just a bit you know out of the group nearly everyone could play a guitar so and he'd written a piece for guitars like glenn Branca. Uh, you know glenn Branca the um and he introduced me to that world so i when we did um Altamora's Parties with Portshead, we curated it and we had loads and loads of bands. I um, got Barry, who runs Altamora's Parties, to get in cl- touch with Glenn Branca, see if he would come over and do some work with us, uh, do a piece, you know, and he did, and we had Thurston Moore, we had John Parrish, it was great. It was really, mm. is a highlight. And from then on, I kind of started, I really liked the sound of of guitars uh, in an orchestrally kind of setting with, with different parts, yeah. you know, playing single lines or making an absolute racket. <laughs> All of it, really, I love. And, and since then, I've written quite a lot of pieces for like seven guitars, 10 guitars, 20 guitars. Mm. Um, I'm working on some at this moment, in fact, yeah. you know. Um, so I love it. I think, I think the sonic world of the guitar is not just... Because I've always done things like find other ways to play, like with... I don't know, with a screwdriver or with an ebo or with a bow of a violin bow, a cello bow, a paintbrush, whatever, mm. to, to try and make textual kind of worlds. And it, and it occurred to me that if we got like I wrote one piece for fifteen guitars, and kind of, um, and I got I taught them all the kind of techniques that I do to see how it will work in a sort of more orchestral mm. kind of way, you know. So we're almost like a violin section. So you make the single note. Which is also why I like monosense, because you can' yeah. just harmony together. Um, you can play a single note, and then somebody else plays another one and another, and then you, you have the harmonic content mm. that you want, like by like writing for violins, really.
0: That's really interesting. That was, um, that's given me a real memory of um, I think it was the last, the last guitar sort of event we, we went to, actually last year, was this little show in Birmingham. and they, they happened to have um, a kind of a Q A thing with Bernard Butler.
2: Yeah, I know Bernard. Oh, do you? I play his. Yeah, that's one of the things on the BBC. I had to do. Ah, okay. I had to play two of his riffs. I had to learn a suede song because Brett was singing. I can't remember the name of the song now. Damn! But he was. Yeah, I had to learn his stuff.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> he was. Great. He was doing this. Um, this kind of half an hour sort of presentation thing, and but I, I, I thought it was great. He he was saying something very similar that, you know, he's got this. I think it was a three-three-five stereo he uses three four yeah.
1: five that is
0: yeah. three four five yeah, yeah. And really nice yeah. guitar but he also yeah. experiments with all sorts of different things to you know for attack and you know yeah um, unorthodox approaches and it, all because he sees that as the way of just shaping different sorts of sounds that you yeah. can't get by just you know conventional guitar playing and it really works you know he was just demonstrating some beautiful phrases you know um, mm-hmm. Just using like coins and things on the mm-hmm. uh, yep. on the tailpiece and all that kind of stuff. Really, really fascinating. Totally my
2: world because I've you know I studied harmony and I studied jazz for oh, ever and that's what I played. But and actually the, the time of playing with Jeff Beck that you were talking to me about earlier on um, was the end of that really. And um, I'd, al- I'd always been interested in alternative ways of playing the guitar, but I, you know I kind of got sucked into the Technical thing because playing jazz, you just can't do it unless you understand harmony and get, you can get around the neck, you know, and be able to play changes. Um, but then once I'd kind of got that, and I'd, I spent 10 years just playing jazz, really, I kind of was bored of it and I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, I was brought up on people like Gong, you know, do you know the band Gong from the 70s? Prog band. Um, yeah, kind of hippie more than mm-hmm. prog, really. I was reading the, oh, yeah, I shouldn't say that, actually i was reading about yes and tales of topographic oceans and all that nonsense that's what i see as prog when i was a kid that was yeah yeah. you know we were like well if you're into sabbath and stuff like that which i was you would not like that music you know (laughs) but gong gong were cool because they had a kind of punky rough kind of thing going on you know yeah they did get a bit nonsensey later on but i still have a great love of them and David Allen, who's died now, had this technique of playing with um, some kind of bit of metal, you know. He said it was a Victorian surgical instrument. I don't know what that really was, but mm-hmm. he used an echoex and a phaser and he had this massive, great echoey kind of sound that didn't sound like a guitar. I completely stole that off him at that time and I've used it endlessly since. And I've expanded that hugely in... in um, in the way that I was just saying to you to write orchestrally for it, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, I'm just really interested in, and working with Fred Frith, you know, the amazing free improviser, some of the ways he plays with his guitar flat, he never hardly ever plays it, you know, properly. Um, I've always been really inspired by the sound that you can get from those, those instruments, you know, Mm -hmm. having another pickup over the bridge, over the nut, so you pick up the stuff behind, yeah. um, putting contacts on the body, you know. Um, you can get all sorts of sonic. Well, you can also, you know, you can play punk riffs as well. So, you know, it's all, you know, guitar is beautifully, massively multi-everything, isn't yeah. it? You know, mm. I think you need to think, or I I think, try and think out of the box, you know, including with tuning. So Retune to something I absolutely don't know what the hell's going on, and then come up with something you know yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. random random yeah. things can happen, yeah, yeah, kind of situation, yeah, yeah. So, um, Asian, so going back in time a little bit, so Dummy was released in 1994, yeah, right? I think, it was, yeah, yeah, we made it in '93. Yeah. So, yeah, we were just talking about suede and that kind of era of guitar bands, which I remember yeah. well. And yeah. um, it was, you know, this whole so-called Britpop scene, and suddenly there's Dummy with its mm-hmm. sort of haunting darkness, shall we say, and um, went on to sell three and a half million. I, I haven't looked actually. Yeah. What was um? What do you think people made of that record in the, in amongst a sea of sort of guitar Renaissance guitar bands?
2: I don't know. I, I don't know actually because. We got the Mercury Prize that year. Well, I don't really, you know, it was it is a kind of, a, some kind of, you know, contemporary judgment of what is going on in music. I yeah. don't think I agree with it or anything, but there were guitar bands in, in that year. You know, Oasis were there and um, nominated as well. And it was a real surprise that we got it. I, do, I don't know. And we, I still don't understand, it, you know, I mean, I've, I, I don't understand it really. I, 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 you know, we made it, we made it. Sort of in a vacuum, really, in Bristol, a collection of us, three of us, coming together and making four of us at that time, making something that we wanted to make that didn't sound like anything else, you know. And so, and we hoped that it would journey on and we'd be able to make another record, you know, that was the hope. And, 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 and you know, it did okay. And so, I think I've never tried to analyze it really because there's enough guitar bands, there's a lot of guitar bands. And actually, while we were making it, I remember listening to, Blur on um, Top of the Pops I think it was one night when we were we were having a cup of tea sitting outside of the studio mm. and um, there was all of those bands going on you know and not not just like Blur Oasis Suede um, Elastica, there was a whole um, load, yeah. yeah Elastica oh. Blue Tones Blue Tones uh, Blue, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean there was an endless amount of guitar mm. bands I, I like it I like you know mm. I don't I don't like all of them but uh, you know I think Pulpit is one of Hope and possibly Blur, my favorite memories of that time, I think. Yeah. And I, I liked what's
0: his name from Blur, the guitar player? Graham Coxon. Yeah. yeah. He's he great does some, does some great, really? great interestingly different things and yeah, uh, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah.
2: Um, so I don't know, can't answer you there. We just I mean, I think we always thought we were on a different kind of world anyway. Our influences were very different, you know. I mean, yeah. actually, you know, mainly hip-hop in the studio, we would listen. And if you We played that record at deafening volume when we were making it, you know, (laughs) um, through the big monitors, you know, and the stuff and everything. How
0: how did you go about um, integrating guitar into electronic music so well? Thank you for saying that. I don't, I don't,
2: I didn't know it was that well. I don't (laughs) know. I just did. (laughs) I just did. I think, I think I, just before this, I'd been working with Jeff Beck on that record and I was basically playing acoustic guitar, but I did hang out with jeff quite a lot and go to his house and hang out and talk talk about guitars i played his old telly um through a basement um i said can i have a go on your telly it's like a 1952 telly mm-hmm. you know and um he said, yeah, man, have a go. And I was like, I started playing it a little bit gingerly because I've, you know, he's a killer player. And um, yeah. he went, yeah, man, turned it up really loud. And I'm like, oh, fuck, don't do that. <laughs> um, and, and, but his guitar just took off, you know. And it was at that moment, actually, I realized that if you get a good vintage guitar, or actually any guitar that's good, I'd obviously be playing shit guitars my entire life because all the shit that I was doing was working. You know, because my guitars never sustained. Mm-hmm. They die when you bent the notes. And, you know, um, that was a really big realisation for a start. And obviously I couldn't afford a 1952 telly, but I realised that I had to do something, you know. And it was quite a lot of years before I actually did do something about that. But yeah. So I'd come out of Jeff Beck world and playing rock and roll as well. And from jazz, I was playing jazz, but I'd heard Public Enemy and tropical quest and a lot of new hip hop kind of stuff and I wasn't interested in guitar then I suddenly wasn't at all interested in guitar at all actually um and i want I bought a sampler and this is after I'd been dedicated to it since I was thirteen years old and um I was really into soundtracks as well you know film soundtracks yeah. and mm. old tremolo guitar stuff okay. and the fabulous Thunderbirds, you know, lots of stuff. And somehow, because Jeff, who's in the band, was amazing at sampling and programming, that wasn't a thing I was going to be doing in the group. So yeah. I, I used my harmonic knowledge for the writing and the, you know, strings and the things that we did, and the guitar playing as a kind of vehicle. I mean, I played guitar, a guitar that came out of a skip, you know, because... <laughs> everything i had sounded a bit too good in a way you know so we're always looking for degraded sound you know yeah much easier to achieve now but back then 25 6 years ago to get that sound of like it's been on a record um was quite hard yeah i can imagine yeah yeah and we didn't understand recording techniques properly either we thought everything we were you were led to believe like it wasn't far past the 80s that and I found this with Jeff Beck when I was working on another session that wasn't a rock and roll thing that the sound of the drum kit I didn't really like it I wasn't I was just a session player you know just playing the guitar electric guitar in this case and I was listening to what was going on and I was thinking "Nah, man this is am I'm, I'm off in the future now this is I'm going that way you know And um, this is cool but it's your world and it's not my world I'm going out over there where the snare drums sound like tin cans, and um, you know everything's muffled or whatever, you know.
1: One of the things I noticed about some a lot of the stuff that you've done was that something we mentioned earlier wasn't it that uh, that connection between looking forwards in terms of sound, in terms of what you where you're going with the music but at the same time using some fairly vintage guitars and gear and yeah. including synths and uh, was that something that happened gradually or was it for, or for any particular reason or was it just something that it was where you were at that moment and um, can you tell us a bit about that
2: Yeah yeah it's vintage synths where they're all different actually vintage guitars like i just said you mm. know um, i realized the power of them and how great they are and I'd had a few over the years, but, um, so that, you know, I just, they've got a mojo about them. You know, I'm not really interested in vintage guitars that look immaculate and, uh, cause they've obviously never been played. Yeah. You know, I was with, a, you know, friends vintage shop the other day and they had like a, a Strat and it was 145 grand and it looked like a brand new one. I was going, what's that? I thought it was new, you know, <laughs> and it was 1956. Wow. And obviously no one's played it so bed. <laughs> yeah. It's going in a bank vault, isn't it now? So no musician I know is ever going to buy that. So, um, and, and why would we, cause it probably doesn't actually sound that good. Mm. So I like instruments that somebody's had. I don't even mind if they're modified, you know, because most of the, my heroes guitar wise have modified their instruments in some way to make them more useful to themselves, you know, um, I was just watching Daniel Lanoir the other day, who's got a a 52 Les Paul with P90s and he's put a Firebird pickup on the back like Neil Young and he screwed in a Bigsby and he changes <laughs> shit, you know, yeah. like Neil Young does, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, so that's guitar synths. Um, I only knew about synths just through my life um, with keyboard players that had various synths, yeah. you know, I always wanted a Mini Moog, um, Mini Moog, Ever since the seventies, but even when I was like fourteen, but I was never going to get yeah. one, you know. Um, so at that time, they were cheap. All this stuff was cheap. Mm. The early nineties, you know. And I mean, I picked up my Korg. Um, what is it called? It's got four voices for Monopoly. Monopoly, yes. Eighty quid, <laughs> you know. It was, a choice. it was either fifty quid for a Gen or a. Uh, 80 quid for the Monopoly, and I thought, (laughs) I'll get the Monopoly. I could just about do it, and I got it. You know, um, my first NSH-101 was, I don't know, 70 quid or something like that. Pro One Sequential was 150 quid. You know, they were all really cheap. And um, so I just started grabbing them you know, and then later I kind of did a bit of wheeler dealing trying to get, Oh, I need to get a mini mood. If I give you two SH SH101s <laughs> and a so-and-so and a bit of cash. And that's how I got my stuff. You Perfect
1: know? time for that. Cause everyone was thinking that digital was the way to go and getting rid of this stuff. Yeah, And then now the world has gone full circle.
2: It really has. Yeah. And I, I feel a bit sorry for younger people who don't have the money to buy, you know, yeah. an original Monopoly. Um, but, you know that you're all bringing out good stuff now. There's good stuff to be had, I think now, isn't there? Mm. But um, I also like old stuff because it has a it has a mojo about it, or whatever the word is. You know, an old mini Moog, the keyboard's not in tune. It's and the oscillators are a little bit, unless they're completely out of calibration, which is kind of unacceptable. Which that modular is at the moment, right. it's a bit. Um, it might need looking at soon, but um, I, I like that. And I got one of the new minis and I put the keyboard in the software. You can change it to be slightly out of tune. And that's what I did. And it's got a a thing, you know, old synths for me, got a thing. They're really annoying because they keep going wrong all the time. (laughs) And things happen and it's, you go to play it if you haven't worked on it for a while and it's not working. Like my ARC 2600, you know, I got it out about a year ago. It sits there looking at me and which is why I was interested possibly in one of those calls. But then I thought, now I've got one. I don't need any more stuff. Um, But when I switched it on, it was just making this most unbelievably wobbly kind of sound. And I thought it was the mod and it wasn't anything. It was just something had gone really unstable, voltage. (laughs) And so I recorded it really quickly and got a sound with it doing that. And we used that on a queue for a film, me and a friend. <laughs> Brilliant. And then I had to get it fixed. But it really annoyed me because <laughs> it means I've got to take it somewhere, get it fixed, get it back, can't use it. Yeah. So mm. it is a slight dedication, vintage equipment. Yeah, um, definitely. It will go wrong. Amps go wrong. The only thing that doesn't really go wrong is old guitars, because there's not much to go yeah. wrong,
0: no. really. Yeah, this is a question you probably uh, get fed up with hearing, Adrian, but are we likely to see any new recordings from Portishead in the coming... Uh... Um, not, Im- not imminently. Not imminently. You know, yeah. I'm working Looking on a solo record at the moment. Uh, right.
2: And I'm producing a couple of bands and got a load of sessions coming up, you know. Which will all be remote, which is great. You know,
0: <laughs> I like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. That's um, that's one of the benefits. We can at least use the technology and send files around the world now, and totally works. I've played on a Dutch record, a French record, an American one,
2: two French ones. Um, I'm not. I haven't met any of them. You know, it's all been just files. You know, yeah. yeah. And I actually quite, I didn't like it at first, but now I kind of do. You know, mm. I think it's cool.
1: Like anything, isn't it? You kind of. Uh- adapt to it and uh yeah there are times that it turns out that things work very, very well, like in this scenarios yeah
2: yeah i think my first thoughts were i have this engineer who i work
1: with who mixes as well um
2: tim allen and he he's always i you know i can i use pro tools but i can, i'd rather not you know and obviously i'd rather just play get into that kind of dream state and play and not have to think about getting another track or yeah. Oh, just drop me in again, drop me in again. I don't want to think about that stuff, you know, because it's – but he couldn't come, you know, here, and we couldn't get the the remote – there's a there's a – I can't remember what it's called now. I've been using it with other people. A remote thing where somebody can take over your computer and run it for you.
1: I see, yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, but my operating system is old because I don't like to update everything all the time because it always goes wrong. Um, and so I couldn't get that, so I was just – it's like yeah you're gonna have to do it on your own man um so i've just done it on my own yes you
0: know right well adrian that's so good of you to join us today we really appreciate that and really interesting to hear what you're up to well really nice to see you so that's all we've got for you today hope you enjoyed the show thanks for listening and see you next time